You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. I can't, uh, I don't know if I can even do it. Let's pray. Lord, we just love you. And just praise you. And Lord, as your servant has voiced the desire that really is the desire of our hearts, that you take the whole, not just the part. And even though we struggle to hold on, we ask you this morning, Lord, to do something that would cause us to let go and just release all of who we are to you. For some, that may be salvation. For some of your children this morning, it may be just learning to love you and enjoy you. We ask you, Lord, to do that this morning. In Jesus, amen. You know how some things just remind you of things. And a moment ago, as, as Eddie, and I heard that voice, it just did that. You can't come anymore. Get a grip, James. Dad. These honestly are tears of joy. Thank you, Jimmy. Goodness. As I heard his voice, it just took me back. I couldn't tell you how many hours. As a 17-year-old kid. I 
who was just lost and separated from the Lord. Uh, that God used that voice to draw me to him. How many hours we would sit in someone's home, someone's living room, and Eddie would have his guitar and just be doing what God has gifted him to do. Just praising. And I knew nothing about that. I'd never been around that. And it just revealed the Lord Jesus to me. And now, 20 years later, I can't hear him see without it taking me back. Boy, it's good. Sometimes we forget where we were when the Lord found us. And boy, what a tragedy when we forget. And by his grace, periodically, he just reminds us where we were. And the Lord just did that to me this morning, I, probably because he knew I needed it. Huh. They're just glorious. They have a brother in Christ, and not just him, but you. But to go back and just remember where I was from the Lord Jesus' family. Well, I can't praise him enough. I don't know where to start. <sighs> Take your Bibles and turn to John, the 14th chapter. I hope you don't have a roast in the oven. Because it's going to be scorched when you get there. I'm afraid. Did you hear the story of the two Aggies? Seems somehow inappropriate after that, but I... <laughs> but I need to tell this joke real bad. Aggie walking down the street. We've got a few Aggies, and I tell it for your sake, Nancy and Stuart. But <laughs> Aggie's walking down the street and had a basket with a cover over it, and another Aggie came along and said, what do you got in the basket? And the guy said, well, I got apples. Aggie said, man, I love apples. Said, if I guess how many apples you got in that basket, can I have one? And the first Aggie said, man, if you can guess that, I'll give you both of them. So the second Aggie guessed five. And the first Aggie said, you missed it by one. What in the world does that have to do with the message? Not a cotton-picking thing. I just needed to tell it. Because I, I approached this morning a very, very serious and, and somewhat difficult subject. It's, this has been one of those weeks uh, of... Uh, those serendipity moments just flowed all week long as I was in my study opening God's Word and, and trying to discern what the Lord wanted to say about this passage. And, and the Lord just began to show me things this week that perhaps for you, He showed you a long time ago, but this week they just began to become real for me. And, uh, and I've got to share these things with you this morning, no matter how 14, verses 15 through 18. I'm talking to you this morning about the secret of obedience. The secret of obedience. John 14, verses 15 through 18. Ignore the break, the editor's break, between verse 15 and 16. It should not be there. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 15, Jesus makes a startling statement to these disciples the night before he was crucified. They have just shared together the final Passover meal. He is speaking to them closing words, final words. The next day, even that very night, Jesus will be arrested in the garden. And the next day, the Lord Jesus will die on a cross. And he makes a startling statement to these disciples in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in those nine words, Jesus challenges those disciples. He challenges all disciples, all of his people through all of history to a life of Christian obedience. As I was preparing this this week, I asked myself the question, why sometimes, James, in your life, in your walk with the Lord, are you so unsettled? And that led me to ask the question for you. Why is it that so many of God's people in their day-to-day life, in their day-to-day walk with the Lord Jesus, are so unsettled. They are so unsatisfied. There is so lack of joy. There is so lack of fulfillment and of the peace that Jesus promised. Why is it in so many of our lives that that seems to be the pattern of our lives? I believe it is because for most of us, we are walking in disobedience. And we don't really understand what it means to have a life of real Christian obedience. And so it causes us to be unsettled. It causes us to have our joy and have our peace and all of those things stolen from us. I don't know about you, but around my house, when my children are being disobedient, nobody's happy. They're not happy because they're being disciplined. I'm not happy because I don't enjoy disciplining my children. Disobedience just sets up an atmosphere and a situation of strife, of not much rejoicing, not a whole lot of joy, not a whole lot of joy in one another's presence. Disobedience just seems to do that in our lives, and that's the way it is with the Lord Jesus. When a child of God is not walking in obedience, then the result is there is no joy, there is no peace, and the life just settles into a state of being unsettled. Now, I know immediately when a preacher announces a topic that he's preaching on, like obedience. There are some who will say, legalism, legalism. He's fixing to become a legalist. He's fixing to talk about legalism. And those folks oftentimes are guilty of using grace as a smokescreen for disobedience. Grace oftentimes, for many Christians, becomes a smokescreen to cover or to justify our own disobedience. But sometimes grace demands obedience, does it not? If you really understand what grace is, grace sometimes demands our obedience. For instance, with my children, if I have given my children instructions that are good for them, instructions that are going to teach them and to train them up into responsible adults, and I do that in my home, and I hope that you do it in your home. Our children have their rules, their guidelines, there are things that they are to obey in the home. But if one of my children decides to disobey one of those guidelines that we have placed in our home for their good, to train them up, what do I do? Do I come along and say, well, man, I don't want to be a legalist. 
I want to show grace, so I guess we'll just set this sucker aside, and there'll be no, there'll be no discipline, there'll be no repercussions, and, and you just won't have to do this anymore. Is that grace? No, the writer of Proverbs says that he who does not discipline his children hates them. So sometimes grace demands that we discipline, does it not? Grace in that situation says that because I desire the best for you, because I desire that you grow up to be a whole responsible adult, grace demands that I hold you accountable to your obedience. And so you see, grace is not a substitute for obedience, but together, if you really understand those two terms. We are saved by grace, but God the Heavenly Father, is, as Eddie spoke about it a moment ago, desires that His children grow up in obedience. That He desires that His children learn to walk in obedience to Him to, or in order to receive all that the Father has to give to His children. So Jesus says to these disciples, listen men, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I want to examine these four verses and see what the Lord Jesus says about obedience. First of all, I want you to notice the secret of obedience. The secret of obedience. Verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What is the first thing that Jesus said? Huh? The first four words, if you love me, then you will do this. And so what is the Lord saying? He is saying to us that the motivating force behind obedience, the motivating force, the moving force, the driving force behind obedience is to be love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now see, this was so important that Jesus did not just say it once. He didn't just say it in verse 15. He said it in verse 15. He said it again in verse 21, and he said it again in verse 23. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, Jesus says in verse 21, then it is a sign that you love me. Now listen, folks, obedience is not in order that we may make it to heaven. Obedience is not in order that we may make it to heaven. Obedience is this. Listen, obedience is a response to the grace of God. Obedience is a response to God's love that has been shown to us first of all. And I, as a child of God, are to be motivated in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, not in order to gain His favor, for I already have that. That's what grace is all about. Not in order to gain heaven, but I am to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ because of a heart that loves Christ and is a response to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. A thought struck me this week. If I were to take a poll of this congregation or any given congregation on any given Sunday morning and ask people who are saved, those who know the Lord Jesus, who are born again, whatever terminology, biblical terminology you want to uh, call it, that are children of God, people who by faith have come into Christ, if I were to ask the question, do you love Christ? I would be willing to bet you that 99.9% .9 of those Christians would respond to me, yes, I love Jesus Christ. And by responding that way, what they would be doing is this. They would be equating salvation with loving Christ. Because I am saved, then they would say, I love Jesus Christ. 
Is that not true? Equating salvation with loving Christ. But I, this week, this just kind of came. And I realized, why did Jesus have to continually ask these people? Why did he have to later ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? Did he do that after the resurrection? Why was he constantly challenging the disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? Why? They were disciples, they were followers. It's because of this, and it just hit me this week. Being born again, being a child of God, and loving Jesus are two completely different things. They are two completely different things. You can be a child of God, be born again, be saved, washed in the blood, all of those terms, whatever you want to, how, whatever terminology you want to use, a child headed for heaven and not love the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, obedience to the Lord Jesus is a, is a drudgery, it is a burden, it is never something that brings joy. The evidence of that fact is all around us in our lives. The evidence of that fact is all around us that there are Christians that are genuinely saved, born again, children of God, who are living their lives in total disobedience to Christ. And I'm not talking about moral disobedience that's just blatant out there, adultery and all that kind of stuff, although that happens. I'm just talking about the day-to-day -day walk with Christ Jesus that are not guiding their lives according to the Word of God and are not guiding their lives according to the commandments of Jesus. You can know him and not love him. For instance, from the time that I first had my first date with Laura, the first time she ever asked me out, from that time, I never dated another girl. I didn't, did I? After our first date, If someone had asked me, do you know Laura Thompson? You know what I would have said? Well, sure. I mean, I had had a date with her. We'd spent five or six hours together that night. I knew about her, a little bit about her family. I knew a good bit about her. I knew about what she was majoring in school. I knew a little bit about her hobbies. I knew a, bit, a little bit about the things that she loved to do. And so if someone said, do you know Laura Thompson? It was later to be Laura Thompson Reeves about a year later. But at that time, it was Laura Thompson. If I said, do you know Laura Thompson? I would have responded, yes. I do. But did I love her after that first date or even after that first week? Absolutely not. I knew her, but I did not love her. I grew to love her over the next year, and it resulted in us getting married. But I knew her after the first time that I'd been with her. It's the same thing with the disciples. When Jesus came to the disciples and said, follow me, what did they do? They followed him, did they not? They became disciples of Jesus. Did they love Jesus, though, when they immediately became disciples? No. They began to love Jesus. They grew to love Jesus Christ over the next three years, and it really was fulfilled after the resurrection and Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to dwell within them. So let me ask you a question. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, did you love Jesus Christ? 
For most of you, I doubt it. You were thankful for the cross. You were convicted of your sin. You were aware of your need for a Savior, yes. But I think for most of us, it was real difficult to honestly and truly love Jesus Christ at the moment that you bowed your head and trusted Him as Savior. If you love Him today, it is a result of years, perhaps, of walking with Him and spending time in His Word and getting to know Him, where today you can say, I love Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, love is something you grow into. Salvation is something that happens instantaneously. And I think here's the problem. Many of us are equating salvation with loving Christ. We are satisfied, in other words, to stop right there. You trusted Christ as Savior, and you're satisfied with that salvation. You're satisfied with that security. But there's never been a process in your life of growing and falling in love with Jesus Christ. So the result is that obedience is tough. Obedience is drudgery. I don't care if it's obedience in giving, if it's obedience in witnessing, if it's obedience in serving, what, obedience in praying, whatever it is, that obedience is tough, it's hard, it's work, and you fail at it every single day. And the re reason for that is because you don't love Jesus Christ. Now that's the honest truth. That doesn't mean you aren't going to heaven. That doesn't mean that you haven't been forgiven and cleansed by Christ. But what I'm saying to you is salvation and loving Christ are two different things. You're, you're saved in an instant. You love Christ over the years. You grow into love with Jesus Christ. Now the question is, how am I supposed to love Christ then? If I am, how am I supposed to love him? Jesus himself gave the answer. Turn, because I think this is an important enough passage. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. About loving God. He says this in response to some Pharisees. They said, you shall love the Lord your God. With what? With all your heart. He says, with all your soul. With all your mind. And with all your strength. Now he uses that little, that little all-inclusive word four times. All. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall love him with all your soul. You shall love him with all your mind. And you shall love him with all your strength. Now there are two things I think that Jesus is saying in Matthew 22, verse 37. He is giving us the degree that we are to grow into love with Christ, but he is also giving practical suggestion about how to love Christ. If your question is, well, okay, perhaps if I really don't love the Lord, then how do I do that? Don't just tell me I'm supposed to love him and then not tell me how. <laughs> Jesus tells us how. He tells us the degree and the extent, but in that is also a very practical suggestion, and I want to give it to you this morning, about how you can grow to love Christ. And he says it in four ways. He says, first of all, love him with all your heart. Now, what is the heart in the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well? The heart in the New Testament is the very center of the being. As the physical heart is the center of the physical being, so the spiritual heart is the center of the spiritual being. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that it is to the heart, not the conscience, but that it is to the heart that God appeals. When God comes to you to draw you, He does not draw you by your conscience. He draws you in your heart, the Scripture says. And the Scripture also says that it is with the heart that you respond to God. He appeals to your heart, the very center of, and the core of your being, and you respond to Him with your heart. Now, there are two kinds of heart. 
are there not? There is the stony heart, and there is the heart of flesh. Do you remember the passage in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19? Let me flip over there right quick, if I can find it, and read it to you. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. Where am I at? There it is. And I shall give them one heart, God speaking of his people, and, they sh- and shall put a new spirit within them. And I shall take out the heart of stone and will give them a heart of flesh. I will take out the heart of stone and I will give them the heart of flesh. You see, God's people had a heart of stone and he, he, they had no desire for him. So he said he's going to take out the heart of stone and he's going to give them a heart of flesh, a heart that will have a desire for God. So to love God with all your heart, listen, is to have a responsive heart. That's the heart of flesh. It is a heart that has a desire for God. God's people had no desire in Ezekiel. They had a stony heart. And so as he appealed to that heart, there was no response because there was no desire. So God says, I will miraculously take that stone of heart and I will give them then a heart I mean, a heart of stone, and I will give them a heart of flesh. So, to love God with all of your heart, what's he saying? It is to desire him. It is to desire him. That's the first place. That's where it starts. If you don't desire to love Christ, you never will. You say, well, honestly and truly, this morning, I'm not sure that I really do. I'm not sure I really desire to love him. Then ask him. Then ask him. Ask him. Pray this prayer. Pray it every day until God answers this prayer. He will answer this prayer. Lord, take this stony heart, take this heart of stone out of me and give me a heart of flesh. God, I ask you right now with my mind, not with my spirit and not with my heart because my spirit's not in it and my heart doesn't want it. But God, I'm asking you to do a miracle and take this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. To love God with all your heart. Then he says to love him with all your soul. To love him with all your soul. The closest thing that we have to understanding what the soul is when it is used in the original language is the emotions and the will. The soul is the emotion, the emotional part, the willful part of the human being. And Jesus says then, not only love him with all of your heart, not only desire him, not only have a heart of flesh, but love him with all of your soul. In other words, love him with all of your emotions and love him with all of your will. Now I'm going to ask you, when you really love somebody on this earth, and this is real practical, when you really love somebody on this earth, be it your husband or your wife or your children or very, very dear friend or someone like that, when you love somebody on this earth, do your emotions get involved? Are your emotions involved in that love relationship? You bet they are. When that person is hurting, do you hurt? Do you feel the emotion of pain and of hurt? And you love them with all of your heart when they are joyful and whenever they are rejoicing, do you not experience that emotion of joy vicariously and that emotion of rejoicing with them? Sure you do. What's wrong with loving Jesus Christ with your emotions? Why is it that we seem to think that our emotions are appropriate everywhere, but when it comes to loving God. I don't understand that. I don't know how you can really love God without allowing your emotions to become involved. 
If your emotions are involved when you love someone else, you saw a display of my emotions this morning that caught me by surprise because of my love for this brother in Christ and what God has used him to do in my life. And I couldn't keep my emotions divorced from that. My emotions became a part of that. And my emotions, in fact, even make that love even deeper and more meaningful for me. And if you're going to love Jesus enough to keep his commandments, enough to be obedient, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to let go and let your emotions become a part of that experience. So a practical suggestion, Jesus is telling you to love him with all of your soul. That means all of who you are, all of your will, all of your emotions. Somewhere along the line, let go. Now, I'm not talking about abuse, okay? I know emotions can be abused and people do crazy things when their emotions get out of hand. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God's people loving God with their emotions. To get on your face sometime before God and just cry before him. And say, Lord, I don't love you like I want to love you. Lord, I don't love you like I ought to love you. God, teach me to love you like I ought to love you. That's emotional. When you come into this place and we praise him, and sometimes they're just words. But sometimes when you let the emotion go, and you just let go and are not afraid of what others are going to say about you or what you're maybe going to look like somewhere, and you just close your eyes and you look toward the Lord, I know that's an emotional response. It's also a physical response, but it's a part of putting your whole being into loving God. Somewhere along the line, sometimes something's going to click, and you're going to be set free to love him. Boy, that's a hard word for Baptists. Because we have the tendency to think that if we let our emotions show, we're going to be weird. Folks, we're weird because we don't. My wife's a Trekkie. She loves Star Trek, the next generation. And I get dragged into that sin. There's a guy on Star Trek, The Next Generation. You know who he is? No, not Worf. He's a Klingon. Data, the robot, the android. He has no emotion. He can't feel. Oh, he's brilliant. He's intelligent. He's the smartest guy on the, on the ship because he's a computer. But he can't love. He can't touch. He can't feel. He can't emote. He's just a cold fish. You look at his eyes. They just look like glass. And so he's got an awful lot to offer for intellectual stimulation, but just not a whole heck of a lot when it comes to love. That's the way many of us are in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We may have a whole lot of intellect to offer, a whole lot of Bible knowledge to offer, a whole lot of doing of good things to offer to the Lord Jesus, but somewhere there's a breakdown in the circuitry for us, and we don't love him with our emotions. Just letting go. I'll guarantee you, you learn to do that. Do it privately. Just you and the Lord. I guarantee you, you learn to do that. You begin to practice loving the Lord with your emotion, and you will begin to sense a love for Christ that you've never had before. I'm not talking fake, talking real, just letting go and loving Him. Then He says, With all your mind, I like this. Jesus is so practical, He's so balanced. Love Him with all your heart. Long for that love. Love him with all of your soul. Let your emotions and your will get involved. And then he balances that, says, and with all your mind. Love him with all your mind. You see, a full heart is no excuse for an empty head. <laughs> you know, a lot of folks get a big lump in their throat, but their skull is empty. 
This balances out. Love him with your emotion, but love him with your mind. Get into his word. Learn to meet him on the pages of scripture. Ask the difficult questions. Struggle with the difficult issues about the Lord and about walking with him and about his word. That's loving him with your mind. Emotions. And you love him with your mind, you'll never have to worry about the emotions running off and doing something stupid. We're good with the mind, evangelicals. We're real good with the mind. We put a lot of emphasis on the mind, don't we? Who do we tout as being great Christians in our churches? Those who have got the most scripture memorized. Is that not true? Those who have the most knowledge, those who, who have the greatest, sharpest mind when it comes to the Word, but oftentimes those are the people that are devoid of loving Jesus. And the people that really love the Lord Jesus, sometimes we put them off in a corner as being somewhat fanatical. And sometimes they are. And I suppose that if I had to choose, and I don't have to, because you don't have to choose. It doesn't have to be either or. It's supposed to be both and. I suppose if I had to choose, I'd like for God to take all of this knowledge I have about him and just let me love him. And if that meant I was fanatical, then so be it. But I would much rather be like that than be data. A robot that has millions of megabytes of information, but no love and no emotion, no feeling, no touch. That's hard for us. It's hard for me because I wasn't taught that as a child. So it's hard sometimes for me to even translate that into to the love of my wife and of my children. It's hard to translate into the love of Christ, but God is teaching me how to do that. Love him with all your mind. Fourth, love him with all of your strength. Listen to this. What's he talking about when he speaks of strength? Would y'all like to do a seventh inning stretch? Stand up. Stand up. If you've got a child that's asleep, don't worry about it. Now sit down. Eddie took all my time this morning, and so I have to do that. Love him with all of your strength. What's he talking about, about all your strengths, loving him that way? What do you think of? What do you use your strength for? Hmm? To be busy? To serve. Work. You've got to have strength to work, right? What's he saying? Love him with all your heart. Desire to love him. Love him with all your soul. Let your emotions, let your will get involved. But love him also with your mind. Don't be just a vacuum up here. But love him with your mind. Get involved. Grapple with the difficult questions. Find out what his word says so that you can be obedient to his word. And then love him with all your strength. Service. Whether you want to or not. Find a way to serve the Lord Jesus. See everything that you do in your life as serving him. Whatsoever you do, do it as unto God. If it's at work, I don't care how much you hate your job, do it as unto Jesus. If it's at school, I don't care how much you hate school, do it as unto Jesus. If it's at home, whatever you do, do everything that you do as an act of service to Christ. What you begin to discover there is that though it is sometimes difficult and though sometimes it is very taxing physically, all of those kinds of things. There is a return that comes when you serve Him. And the return is not what the plaudits that people give you, although you may get those, but the return is that the Lord Jesus will draw near to you. You're never more like Him than when you serve. If God's people could get that one truth, it would set us free. You are never more like Christ than when you serve. Preachers think they're never more like Jesus than when they're preaching a great sermon, but that's not true. 
pagans and unbelievers preach sermons every single week in churches. And that's absolute truth. So preaching sermons is not what it means to be like Jesus. You know, the more you serve, the more you're like him because he is the ultimate servant. Jesus said himself in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man has not come to be served but to serve. Jesus said, look at me. You're talking about how people can serve you, kingdom. And Jesus said, you've got it wrong. You want to be like me? Serve. And then he said, because the greatest among you will be your, the least. And the least will be the greatest. You see, there's a return that comes when you begin to serve him. It's the return of Jesus drawing near to you because you become like him. The secret of obedience is loving Christ. Listen to what Jesus said, folks. Let these words sink in. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Not you might, but you will. If you love me, how do I love him? I don't just admit it. Say, I don't love him. Okay, well then to begin to love him with all your heart. In other words, begin to ask him, Lord, give me a desire. Begin to love him with all your soul. Let your emotions and your will get involved. Begin to love him with all of your mind. Get into his word and grapple with his word and love him with all of your strength. Begin to serve him. And you know what will happen? One of these days you'll wake up and you'll begin to sense a drawing toward Christ. Sure, you're saved, but do you really love the Lord Jesus Christ? The secret of obedience, Jesus says, is to love him. I'm so bound by this stupid clock that I'll, I'm tempted to quit. If I don't quit, you're going to be here for 20 more minutes. Okay. All right, you did it. And I will not apologize for it. If anybody gripes, then I'll let you deal with them. We don't watch the clock in our recreation. Why should we watch the clock in worship? Well, we do. We say people can't sit that long, but they go to a football game and sit for hours and enjoy it, and it seems like 10 minutes. Somehow church seems like five hours when we sit for 45 minutes and listen to his work. The secret of obedience is love for Christ. The standard for obedience is his commands. Listen to what he says. If you love me, what will you do? He says, you will keep my commandments. The standard for obedience is Jesus' commands, not what seems right to us. But it is his command. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. The writer of Proverbs says, There is a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. There is a way that seems right to us, but the end of that way is death. We are guilty of that. We are guilty of picking and choosing. A classic example. Forgive me over here if I ignore you, because I just don't feel comfortable standing over here. I don't know what that means. But this really feels awkward to me. So I'll just turn over here and look at you every now and then, okay? There's a classic example in the Scriptures in 1 Samuel chapter 15 of this idea of a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. It's found in the life of Saul, the king of Israel. 
God had commanded Saul to take the armies of Israel and go up against the city of Amalek, and God gave him a specific instruction. He said, don't take any spoil. Don't take any spoil. Just leave it all there. Don't take any of it. I don't want my people polluted by any of the spoils of the city of Amalek. So Saul, with the armies of Israel, they went up against the city of Amalek, and they took some of the best of the sheep and some of the best of the oxen, the Scripture says, and they came back. Samuel, the prophet, came to Saul one day after that, and, and Saul greeted him like this. He said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Something like that. In other words, butter no Samuel up. Samuel's a prophet of God, so Saul recognizes that. Blessed are you of God. And then he says, I have kept the Lord's commandment. That's what Saul says. And Samuel responds, I think, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And he says, oh, what is the bleating of the sheep I hear in my ear? And the lowing of the oxen. And then Saul responds, he says, well, we took some of the best of the sheep. And we took some of the best of the oxen for sacrifice unto the Lord. And Samuel then, the prophet of God, it says, speaking under the, the inspiration of God, Samuel responded this way to Saul. Does God delight in sacrifice more than obedience? And then he says this, he says, it is better to, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. And then Samuel said this, because you have rejected the Lord, he said, God has rejected you as king over Israel. Did you get that? There was a way that seemed right to Saul, and the result thereof was death, ultimately, and that Saul was rejected as king over Israel. The standard of obedience is not the way that seems right to man, but Jesus said, the standard is my commandments. It is what I have said. And this week, I thought about this more, because that seems so cold commandments. Oh, come on. That's Old Testament stuff. And it is. Commandments. Jesus is using this term that's an Old Testament term. You know, the Ten Commandments written in stone and all of that kind of stuff. So rigid, so, so, so absolute, if you will. And I thought, it seems like the Lord is going back to that. It seems like he's just going back to the law here because he's talking about commandments and obedience to commandments. And then I realized something that is revolutionary. What Jesus is enjoining us to do is to not obey laws that are etched in stone. But Jesus is challenging us as his people to become like him. And this is what I mean by that. What are the commandments of Christ? They are his life. That's what they are. Everything that Jesus challenged us to do, everything that Jesus challenged his disciples to do is something he did. Jesus said, serve one another. Jesus was the ultimate servant. Jesus said, forgive one another. Jesus ultimately was the great forgiver, even as on the cross he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was the ultimate servant. He was the ultimate forgiver. Jesus was the ultimate shower of grace. We could go on and on and on and on. You see, what Jesus is talking about in his commandments are not tablets of stone, but they're the life of Christ itself. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will become like me. You will desire to become like me. As I have served, you will serve. 
As I have given, you will give. As I have forgiven, you will forgive. So you see, when you look at it like that, Jesus is not just giving us another two tablets of stone and saying, if you love me, you're going to do what's written on this stone. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you're going to want to be like me. And as I have served, you have served. You will serve. As I have given, you will give. As I have forgiven, you will forgive. All of those things. You see, if you love Christ, it becomes natural to obey Him. It becomes natural to become like Him and to desire to become like Him. And so His commandments are not etched in stone. His commandments are fleshed out in His life. And so I just look at the life of Christ, and if I love Him with all of my heart, I want to be like Him. If I love Him with all of my soul, I want to be like Him. If I love Him with all of my mind, I want to be like Him. If I love Him with all my strength, I want to serve just like He did. Third, the strength for obedience. Verses 16 through 18. I've already read them, so I'll not read them again. But Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And the, the break that the editors give between verse 15 and 16 really shouldn't be there. That's not inspired. That's just editors trying to break this up into bite-sized chunks, you know, topical chunks. But I think that that, that break is, is a horrible, does a horrible justice to the Scripture. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he says, and I will send another helper. I will ask the Father, and he will send you another helper. There should be no break, because obedience and the helper, the Holy Spirit, flow hand in hand. You can't separate obedience from the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit immediately after he spoke about loving him and obeying him. You say, well, golly, man, this obedience stuff, that's a heavy load. I can't do it. I can't be obedient to the Lord like that. You're exactly right. In fact, you've heard it said before, and let me say it again this morning. The Christian life is not a difficult life. It's an impossible life. It's absolutely impossible. To love Christ that way is not difficult. It's just impossible. So if it is impossible, then the impossible God must empower us to do it. And so obedience to Christ is not something that flows out of the flesh. Obedience to Christ is something that flows out of the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. 